0: What a beautiful Sunday! Aren't you glad you're here? I am so glad to be here. I feel like the Lord has already taught us. Don't you feel that way? I pray so. Well, this morning we're going to be coming, uh, moving forward in the book of Matthew to Matthew chapter 18 because I wanted to get to what I often think of yet another one of those texts where the Lord Jesus takes people That uh, many people in his society and in his world just didn't even notice, sometimes even devalued. And he took that very person, and again and again, he just took them and put them right into his inner circle. And would even just say, Now, you've got to learn from that person, or you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, Do you know he does this all the time? Uh, Some of you say, Pastor, you preach a lot of sermons about that sort of thing. It's because Jesus does this all the time. When a man was covered with leprosy, excluded from the city of Capernaum and nobody letting him in, Jesus brings him right in and blesses him with the blessing of the kingdom. Uh, When a woman who everybody knew had been involved in immorality comes into a Pharisee's home where Jesus was, where obviously, you know, Jesus brings her right in and says, she's the one who experiences the shalom of God. Even when a tax collector had gotten himself into that mess himself, rejected by his people, though he had money, when he wanted to see Jesus, Jesus goes right over to his home, has table fellowship with him. He just does this all the time. So if you are new to the life of a church like Lake Avenue Church and you kind of come in and you wonder, for whatever reason, maybe background, any, whatever reason, I wonder if I can fit into this group. I wonder if I can belong in this group. You need to know that at least the one who is the head of this place has a way of welcoming people who wonder if they're going to be welcomed. Have you ever noticed that? But if you're the kind who comes in and says, well, of course the church would welcome me. I've been to seminary. See, I'm the one. We're in danger. Do you know that? (laughs) We're the ones who should wonder, have I really fallen upon the mercy and grace of God? So that's what we're going to look at today. T- today, the, the one that I chose to, to look at is uh, Matthew 18 that Saphonia read so beautifully for us that Jesus welcomed a little child because uh, children in his day were often excluded. I'll tell you, if you look for no children allowed signs in Jesus' day, they would have been everywhere, just about everywhere. It's hard for us to read this text and to see that in 21st century America because we value youth so much. Uh, often I think the ones who, who are not valued as much is when we get to be older. The older I get, the more I think that that might be actually the case. But, you know, <laughs> through most times in the world and certainly in the days of Jesus, it was children who were not valued uh, uh, until they hit this rite of passage time that sometimes weren't even considered fully human. In Jesus' day, there were two dominant cultures. There was the Roman culture and the Greek culture, and neither one of them valued children. Roman law had no protection for children whatsoever. A Roman father could kill his child without any repercussion. And in Greek society, there's one story of a Greek soldier who was away from home, and he wrote a letter back to his pregnant wife. And he said, if that child is a girl, throw her away, which shows us both how children were valued and women sometimes how women were valued. And Jesus would constantly take these situations and He would say, no, no, no. The way society, the way the world sees things is not the way I see things. And He would take the least expected people, pull them right into His inner circle, and then say, you must learn from them. So today we're going to take a few moments to look at this and I'm going to pull back and think about those who come who may may not always know if they are fully a part of a, of a family like this where the gifts that God has given can be used freely and that we're a part of one family. We're going to pull back and see how, how would Jesus see things. How would Jesus see things? How, what would He be saying to us on this morning? So we're going to look first at children then pull it up to be a little bit broader. And, and two lessons that I want us to see from the text that Siphonia read. Matthew 18. Turn there if you have your Bible is that the least expected people, I mean, in the eyes of the world, the least expected people often teach us the most important lessons. Do you believe that? Well, if we haven't ever learned them, we might not really believe that. Well, anyway. And second, we're going to see that the least expected people teach us about what people are actually important to God. All right, so let's look at that first lesson. The least expected people often teach us the most lasting, the eternal lessons, and with His child, even about going to heaven. Teaches us the the most important thing, or I I put it, those who are often devalued in the eyes of the world. Often are God's gifts to us, individually and as a community, God's gifts to us to teach us His eternal lessons about living life. Look at chapter 18, verses 2 and 3 again. When they ask who's the greatest in the kingdom, kingdom of God, Jesus called a little child and had the little child stand among them. And then he just said to them, listen, I tell you the truth. You didn't even want this child to be here. And if you look at Mark 10's account, the disciples couldn't imagine why Jesus would want a child in the midst. The child might cry or scream or something. Spend time with the important people, Jesus, essentially. Would say. He sends He pulls the little child right among them. And he says, unless you become like this child, You're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. (sighs) Jesus doesn't mince words, does he? Again, what he's saying is that often those, at least in his own world, who weren't even noticed by the people in the society, may be the people who minister most to us if we would let them. Those that we think we have to do all the teaching to them, we've learned it, we've got to do all the teaching, are those from whom we might have to learn, even if we will come to know God and be a part of his family. Now I'll tell you, those of you who have been to school way too long, like your pastor perhaps have, this is one tough pill to swallow. Because you know the way we are, the more formal education we have, John I'm looking down to you too, you're right there in the university, so we're gonna, I'm going to preach to us for a few moments, the more formal education we have, the more we think that always we're the ones who should be the teachers. I didn't hear a single amen. (laughs) The more success we have, the better job title that we get, the more that we think, well, I'm the one who has everything to contribute around here. And I just want to warn you, the moment we enter uh, into that way of thinking, the more danger that we are in in terms of truly being able to bask in the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And and the moment we think that when we come into the the place that I'm the one who has to do all the teaching the more it may be that we will fail to learn what God wants to say to us. So uh, the person who has no interest in uh, developing some relationships with people like uh, the children, because even the disciples didn't have much interest in that, may be those who learn the least about who God is and what it means really to walk with the Lord. Why do I say that? Well, I'll tell you two reasons why I don't know. I'm going to say it anyway. Two reasons. How do you put this thing? The reasons why that is not the case. Okay, there. Misconception number one, that'll get you there, won't it? That that Jesus' lesson is not to us that there are some people in a community like Lake Avenue Church or back in his day, like these children, who are completely innocent before him and they they don't need the mercy and grace of God. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's nowhere in the text, that's nowhere in the Bible. All people need God. All people need the rescue of God. Nobody is perfect before God on our own. And I've got to say that because there have been so many movements really through the history of the church where some people say, well, of course, uh, those who don't have any material possessions. If you're poor, you immediately belong to God. As if, you know, if you're poor or sick or what, or in this situation if you're a small child you don't need God's mercy and, and grace and so forth. You may know, those of you who have studied psychology that behaviorists sometimes have said that children when they're born are just blank moral slates in front of us where there is absolutely no corruption and the only thing that goes wrong with them is, uh, is home and society. But the Bible never allows us to think that sort of thing. It tells us that all of us are born into this fallen race. We're all sons and daughters of, of, uh, of those uh, Adam and Eve that we read in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And so deeply planted in us. And theologians have thought about this. I have a strong view about this. I'm not going to take time to develop it today. Because I don't want to fight with, with folks at all. But some will say children are just born with a tendency towards sin. Some say children are, are born already guilty of sin. Either way... Either way, we are people who are fallen creatures and we need the mercy and the help and the grace of God. So that's not what Jesus is saying. That the children would be valued because, of course, children are absolutely perfect and never have any mistakes. Misconception number two is this. Jesus' lesson is not that you and I are to emulate the simplicity of people like a child. You know, a lot of people interpret this, Matthew 18, just in that way. They say, well, we've got to become as unquestioning about our faith as little children are. What what do you think about that? I don't know if you've ever gone into children's class, but I don't think children are are all that unquestioning about about their faith. I have found sometimes I don't even want to go into the children's Sunday school class because I know I'm going to be asked the hardest questions. (laughs) They are really tough Sometimes children really get us to the heart. How is this that God is three and yet one? And all the, these kind of things. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He, he is not, not saying that sort of thing. What, then what is he saying? I mean, if he, he does, it's not that the Bible ever just advocates gullibility about our faith and tells us that we have to be willing to ask the questions that are there and God is up to our questions. That's not what he thinks. So what is he saying? I think it's something like this. He's talking about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, which is the rule of God breaking into the world where other things, the world, the flesh, and the devil are ruling. And essentially what he is saying is if we are going to enter that rule, the kingdom of God, there's only one king who can be our king. And it's a hard lesson for you and me to learn because we might surrender some parts of ourselves to his kingship, but doesn't it doesn't seem to be the older we get, the harder it is just to give all that we are to God. And what we had here in little children would have been people who knew that they were dependent upon society, upon their parents, and upon others, you know, for their resources, for their food, for all sorts of things. So they didn't have to pretend, I can do it all by myself. So, so they knew that they needed the help of others, and they could fall upon independency upon others. He said, unless we learn that about our relationship to God, we will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is where, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Albert brought one of the best illustrations about this that I have ever heard. He talked about a person being locked in a a closet. Do you remember this? With water that is flowing from a fountain and only being given a mop. So the water just keeps flowing. And and that we're like those people that with that mop, I'm going to get that thing mopped up all by myself. He says that is hopeless. You've got to stop that thing at the source or you're never going to do that. You're just going to work and work and work and all you're going to get to be is is tired and I thought and wet. And in the same way, our problem is, is inside of us. We have a tendency to want to rule our own lives. We want to put all sorts of other things in the place of God. And, and if we just get a mop, oh my, I'm going to clean this thing and get myself right. And so that God really wants... We'll never get there. What we have to do is to follow up on the grace of God and say, Father, I've tried to do it on my own. But I need You to come in and rule in my life. I need power beyond anything that I have within myself. Here I am, Lord. Will You receive me? What do we find He does? Why we have all these stories. When we come and say, oh, Lord, I need you, Jesus again and again and again and again welcomes and gives himself to us and then walks just a closer walk with the Tom. That was a great song. That was just a that was a great song. See, the, the point is um, the older we get to be, the more we try to pretend we can do it. And uh, it, as long as we try to pretend that we don't need to surrender everything to God, we're going to find it hard to humble ourselves before the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm so thankful I, I even get to be in your family. I, can't, I cannot believe that you've forgiven me. You, the holy, the perfect God, have found a way, it was a painful way, a cross of bearing my sins upon yourself. I can't believe you've done it. Here I am, Lord. Will you really receive me like a little child in dependence? We come to him and say, here I am, and we find he receives us. Jesus says, unless you become like that, unless you become like that, you won't know what the kingdom of God is all about. So God will send into our vicinities people who won't try to pretend that everything is just perfect and who will always acknowledge, I need help. And he says, I'm going to send them to you as a gift. Your first inclination is that you have everything to give to them and you don't need them. Listen to me. My most important lessons, the very reason you gather in this place to learn how to walk with me, are to be learned by the mo- from the most unexpected people. I just wonder, is, it, is this, this? Okay, we see that, right? Brings me to the second lesson the most unexpected people in this world are the ones who so often teach us about what God values, what's important in the eyes of God. And I've put it this way. At the end of the day, what the Bible keeps declaring to us through these ongoing stories like this is that all people, all people, are important to God for an absolute reason because we are all made in His image and we all matter to Him. I want you to see this, this verse that has created all sorts of... Uh, interesting discussions and in books. Uh, verse 10. See that you do not look down on these, on one of these little ones, any of them. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Have you noticed that verse before? It's quite a verse. Uh, I read this again and I thought about a, a cartoon that was given to me when I lived in Germany. And it, was, it came out of a leftist really an atheist uh, magazine. And it was somebody who was very critical of, of the church and of, of, and of the message of the gospel. And it had this uh, mother asked uh, her little daughter, uh, what did you learn in church today, Sarah? And Sarah said, what I always learn, that I am a child of Satan. See, it, it, try to this matter that none of us is perfect, which the Bible does teach, was twisted and warped to make it seem as if God does not love people. And when we read this text, we look at this thing and we see just the way that God values people and here particularly these little children. Now, now what he says here is that children have an angel who are always looking upon the face of the Father. You, have you ever read any books about this? People struggle with this. They say, well, that must only refer to children who then come to personal faith in Jesus. But it doesn't say that. It, it just talks about the fact that, that all children, all of us born into this world, made in the image of God, are so loved by God that we have some angel that watches out for us and, and protects us. Uh, my mom told me I must have had an awfully strong angel because I was always getting into places where I needed to be rescued. And here I still am today. <laughs> so I have, must have I'll have to thank my angel when I go to heaven. Now, let me tell you this. this. This text has raised all sorts of questions. I don't have time to deal with it in depth. I just want you to know on this weekend, and I will come back to it someday because I, I really want to, uh, I want to take a weekend sometime to address this issue of how God views little children even before they have an opportunity to understand at all the faith. It's a very important question to me. Is it to you? Um, And I think any of us who have lost our children in infancy, uh, this is a huge question. Uh, I continue to go to it, and and this text is one that I look at. It's taken on enormous significance, at least to this, to my understanding of how God views the little children of the world. Again, I need a lot more time to delve into Jesus' words than I have here, but I want want to say this. It's on a basis of a text like this one that I just joined together with so many who have followed Jesus over the many, many years to tell you that I think it is absolutely wrong to think of little children as being in immediate danger of hell. Uh, many times people will look at baptism, and, and I'll talk about that someday. I, I just want to say that according to Jesus, it is not the children who are in danger of hell. Uh, if you look at verses 5 through 9, a text I didn't ask Sapornia to read, It's those who put stumbling blocks in the way of children who have a fear of hell, not the little ones. It's a clear thrust of this passage. You you can just read it. The child is the one who teaches us how to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the implication of this is that I, on the authority of Jesus, always offer words of comfort to to those of you in the church. And I've done this with, with so many of you here. When you've lost children in infancy or even children who are lost while they are still in the womb, that I believe from the depths of my being that we trust God to keep them safe. I never hesitate to say I trust Him to do that. Look at this. He says it is not the will of your Father in heaven that any of these little ones should be lost. See, I already get into the passion of these things, you see. But, but, so that point is here. And if you have lost a child in infancy, I just tell you, trust God. I believe he will keep that child safe. But the main point that Jesus is making here is he wants us to know that people who were devalued, like the little children, are very important to God. Each one. That these little children, as little as they were, matter. Because look how much they matter, Jesus was saying. God puts them under the protective care of one of his powerful angelic beings. He he finds them so precious that even if the world ignores them or doesn't even notice them or feels like they were of little account, they matter to God. See that you don't look down on any of these because they matter to God. And, of course, what he's saying is if they matter so much to God, then they should matter to us as well. And if Jesus sees people in this way and we keep saying, "I'm I'm going to be a follower and learner of Jesus, then we're going to learn from him when we read a text like this. So as, as the Bible so often does, what it asks us when we show up at church is do you value the same things Jesus did? You know, how many sermons have I preached where I said when we follow Jesus, what changes? When we surrender to the kingdom of God, what changes? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Our whole world is turned upside down. He becomes the ruler and everything changes. Even our view of death changes. And one of the most fundamental things that the Bible declares to us over and over and over again that changes is our eyes. Do you remember that old Amy Grant song that says, I want my father's eyes. I want my father's eyes. I want to see the way my heavenly father sees. And so the Bible gives us all of these stories. We're the one who has come to reveal what God is like to us. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And we see the way He sees. It is that those who are often the least valued in our world are so deeply valued and loved by God and He gives hope to us. Amen? It means when we come into this place, we know that we are the ones upon whom God wants to pour His unending love. So much that He sent His Son. Who loved us so much that he gave his life. And it just declares to us, do you see as I see? And if you will walk with me, having that closer walk that Tom and the choir sang about, your eyes will change. Because I'll tell you, when, when we've fallen upon the mercy of God ourselves, uh, we can never be proud. And that just changes everything. The Apostle Paul, who once was very proud, had come to know that Jesus had to die for him. And, and, and a couple of verses I just love. I think I have them here for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-17. When we have experienced the love and forgiveness of God, Christ's love compels us. Because when we've met Jesus, we've become convinced that one died for all. And he had to die so that those who were going to live then should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. So he said, this changes everything. He's preaching the same thing I preached to you now. From now on, we can look at no one in the way the world does. Though once we even looked at Jesus that way, we can do so no longer. We're going to come to church, and we're going to see one text after another like this. And what we're going to see is that if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. That old way of thinking and looking, it is gone because the new kingdom, the new king has come. That's what has to happen in this church. So I ask, who is it in our world who would be like those children were in Jesus' world? Who might be in a community and and we don't even see that they are there. Or we would think we have to do all the teaching to them. We have nothing to learn. Who, Who would those people be? I'll just say this. I do believe that one large group of people are unborn children in our day. If the infants in the days of Jesus uh, were often viewed not quite as being fully human, I think that that same tendency, we're trying to teach that in our society. You know, I so deeply believe that from that the earliest moment, from the time that the implantation in the mother's womb happens that leads toward eventual birth, that eventually leads toward adolescence and on into adulthood and the senior adulthood, there is a continuum of life that is there where you can't say, well, there wasn't life there. It is there. Yes, in the womb, the, the child is so fully dependent. So you come back to this text. It's in dependency that we learn something about the kingdom of God. I think we need to have the eyes of Jesus in our society for the unborn child. And I keep being told, as I said earlier, that as we get older and start losing some capacities, I think, as I've said, my mom losing her mental capacities at the end of life, that now, whereas it used to be, In most societies, children were devalued. Now, at least in Western society, often it's youth that is so much valued that we devalue older people in society. The older I get, the more I'm beginning to learn about this. See, that's why I'm preaching about this. I've got to change things really, really fast. (laughs) And what God says, you see what he says to us here. We've got to see all people as people made in the image of God. And today we have gathered here. You know, I was wondering which of many, many texts might I have picked out to talk about this today as we have this privilege of having those who have noticeable uh, disabilities uh, leading us, serving us, leading us to God this morning in worship. I've been talking with, uh, with a lot of folks about this all these past couple of weeks, especially I'm so thankful for Pam Swanson, who's sitting down here on the second row, who is uh, giving leadership uh, to what we're now calling our Beyond Barriers Ministry. I love that title. Uh, I see it in so many ways. The world sometimes says we have barriers that we can never go beyond, and you just know that's not true. That there's so much more God can do through us than we could ever have imagined, but also going beyond the barriers that we often create in, in our communities. Oh, wow, that person cannot, you know, so Beyond Barriers. That's, I really like that title. And so in just thinking about going beyond those barriers and seeing one another as God sees us, I've been calling all my friends who have some of those visible barriers and, and trying to learn. I haven't, I haven't learned as much as I need to learn about this. So I'm going to tell you what I think I've been learning. And if I get it wrong, talk with Pam or Tom or Calvin or someone and say, and say did, did the pastor get it wrong? Well, he, he's on the right track, they can say. Uh, hopefully, or me- next time we'll, we'll get it correct. But let me just tell you a few of the things I've begun to learn. Uh, number one, that when people have a disability, it is only one part of who they are. Uh, I've been trying to learn some new language here. You know, so many times we talk about disabled people. That makes it, it seem like the whole person is disabled. It's it's a person with a disability and then when you read the bible places like psalm 139 and we see how fearfully and wonderfully we are made we are such incredibly complex people when you even learn to think that way a person with a disability you come to see it's just a small part of what a person is and then you begin to look for uh for so many things that can be contributed that that so often it's when there is a disability in one area that the necessity to use other areas heightens and strengthens some areas where we have so much to contribute to one another. Um, one of my friends said, this is what scholars call the cultural aspect of uh, a disability, that people look and just see that the whole whole of the being is uh, disabled. And so that's the first thing I'm beginning to learn that whenever we, we uh, look at people and, and we see different things that one person can't do all that well, there is a huge range of this person who is beautifully and wonderfully made that you and I are called upon to see and to celebrate and to learn from. So that's one lesson I'm beginning to learn. Second lesson is not unlike it that we tend to put people who have a disability into a box, a box into which almost nobody really fits. Now, this isn't a perfect illustration, but you know I grew up in the hills of West Virginia. Now, here in California, you don't know how West Virginians uh, are treated, usually when you go to Ohio or, or to Maryland. The Polish jokes that are told are told about West Virginians when you go there. So I always felt when I just opened my mouth and, and they could hear this West Virginia accent, that immediately I was put in a box. Now, you must have one leg longer than the other. West Virginian. You don't have any shoes. Do you? Where did you get shoes? It's the first time you ever wearing shoes? West Virginian. Did, did, did all of your cousins get married when they were 13 years old? All these boxes. So I just had to open my mouth and I was put into a box. Uh, yeah, yeah. West Virginians can't read good, can you? I just remember all this stuff when I went to Chicago for the first time. So in the same way, when we meet a person who has a disability, we need to get to know that person as that person is. And the way that this can play out in the wrong way is, you know, you meet a, a person who has a disability and you say, can I come along and assist you? And, and that person may say, no, 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 I, I, can, I can do this thing. And then we start thinking, uh, well, then no person with a disability ever wants any help. Well, that may or may not be true. See, the call on us is to get in the relationship with people, right? Learn from one another and see how different all people are. So uh, that's the second thing that I've been getting to learn, that we often put people in a box. None of us like to be put in a box. Okay, you know that. Lesson three. People often seem to think that if people with disabilities did things right, their disabilities would go away. Here, this is mostly us as church people who think this way. So if you prayed more, you wouldn't... You know, if you went to the right doctor, then if you took more vitamins... If you hadn't done this or that then, you know what I mean, it's that blaming the victim that is there. And we just come back to the Bible, and you see that even people like the Apostle Paul had this thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, that he kept praying about would, would go away. And do you remember what the message was that Paul learned? No, 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 I, I need this. Because it's in weakness that we know the strength of God. And that's what's happening in Matthew 18. It's when we see people's dependency upon God that we see the greatness and power of God at work through through people. So that's the third lesson. Then I have one final lesson. When people with disabilities and those without immediately recognizable disabilities... Notice how I put that. That was my clever language right there. because. None of us are all yet that we should be, amen? But, but there are these visible disabilities. But when we enter into relationship with one another, great relationships begin. As long as we are a bit afraid, oh, what do I say? I might say it wrong. I might use the wrong language because we're all afraid of that, you know? As long as we think that way, we won't enter in, into relationship. But when we enter into relationship, Friendships begin and Jesus tells us we will learn from one another the greatest lessons of the kingdom of God. Uh, I sometimes think we stay away from those relationships. Why? Uh, one, one friend said, well, I think sometimes people think I'll break if they come up and shake my hand. <laughs> or sometimes they'll just assume That they they just don't know how to even enter into this or that I can't do this or that or won't take the time to wait. But when you take time to wait, I'll just tell you, it is worth it. Pam wrote me a uh, note this week. So so Pam, you don't know I'm going to quote you here, do you? I loved it. Here's what she said. So don't judge a book by its cover. Take the time to discover what is truly on the inside. Focus on what really matters the most. That same concept definitely applies when dealing with, working with, and having a relationship with people who have a disability. So I think that's my main take home. I, I want our eyes to change. Right? I keep praying our eyes will be open to every person being made in the image of God, every encounter being a divine appointment. You've heard these sermons before that the greatest families are made up of the most unexpected people in the eyes of God. And that's what Lake Avenue, by God's grace, is becoming. And so today the take-home I want us to have is a deeper commitment than we have ever had to taking intentional steps to entering into relationships, taking time to listen and to be with those who have a visible disability. Uh, Already, I think this morning, haven't you sensed how much we have been ministered to? Because we've taken the time today Uh, To have those who have had a visible disability lead us in prayer. Calvin, oh my, I want you to lead in prayer not just on this Sunday but on other times. To have Tom tell us about I am weak but you are strong. Lord, keep me from wrong. We need that prayer just as much as you sang it for us. We have so much to learn from one another and to teach one another. But we have to do what Jesus did over and over and over again. We have to go beyond the barriers. That this world erects. We have to know that when we come to Jesus. We no longer look at people the way that the world looks at people. God does not look on the outside. The external appearances. God looks on the insides of our hearts. And what He can and will do in us. When we bring Him in. And receive His cleansing. Receive His Holy Spirit. So we need to learn to walk with one another. Walk with one another until this kingdom of God is complete. A reign of God that when it's done, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the forgetful will remember again. All will be made new. Until it is, He has given us to one another. Until each one, each one is complete in Christ. Oh, what a day that will be. To His glory. Amen. Amen.